Welcome at the Ford PPE Encounters podcast. With me in the studio is Koen Buring, a second year PPE student. Every student who has talked with him during a lunch break knows about his passion for the universal basic income. And now he has written an actual book called Samenrijk, Together Rich, which is on sale in all the bookstores in the Netherlands since this Wednesday. Welcome, Koen. Hello. First, we're gonna ask some questions about yourself and how in the name of <laughs> how on earth <laughs> how on earth did you write an actual book? When was the first time that you heard about the universal basic income? Oh, well, basically to start off, I started reading. And more books like the book of Rutger Breckman, but also other books. And when time passed by, I also met Andrew Yang on YouTube, which is a American presidential candidate who actually got really far. If you would look at where he started at, he didn't have any name recognition. He wasn't popular at all. And he actually made the idea of universal basic income. And as he called it, a freedom dividend, really, really popular uh, in the United States. And he really motivated me to think about, hey, what would it be, what kind of book would it be if you could write about the the idea that Roger Brackman made so popular, not only here, but around the world, and then combine it with Yang's story about how you see uh, uh, automation and wealth inequality uh, increasing around the Western world, and to see how a universal basic income could be a solution to reduce wealth inequality, to make sure that you create a more equal society. So I started writing and then, yeah, it started from there. Yeah, and for our listeners, maybe it's good to clarify, uh, Rutger Bregman is a Dutch uh, anthropologist. uh, Historian, yeah. Historian and journalist who wrote a book about the basic income. And Andrew Yang is, as you said, uh, a US presidential... Yeah, he was a presidential candidate in the 2020 race. Yes, okay. And you saw Andrew Yang on YouTube and you thought, whoa, this is it. Why is there no book about this in the Netherlands? And you thought, okay, I'm going to write it myself. Yeah, so obviously I was still in my last year of the secondary school and I was really focused on my exams as well. But I, uh, with every day I was more politically conscious and I started following Yang starting from February 2019. And he got further and further and further. He got on the Joe Rogan podcast and he got way more popular. And I was like, wow, this, this, this story he's telling, it's actually a story that people want to hear about how we can make sure every society, whether that's just the United States or the Netherlands, can prepare themselves for the 21st century and all the challenges the 21st century has in store for us. And then when my exams were done of secondary school, just before I went to PPE, I started writing that summer. <laughs> and I started visiting uh, politicians, uh, economists, people that spoke about universal basic income in the past in the media. And I thought like, let's just see what, what comes of it. And fortunately, yeah. and I was able to write the book. And how did you start writing? How, uh, where do you start writing with a book? You start writing. Just write. Yeah, a thousand words a day and then hopefully a little bit more every day. And then you get a manuscript, which of course isn't the best manuscript you could ever deliver, but it starts to get better when the time passes by and then hopefully something really nice comes out of it. So you started writing a thousand words a day for, you told me before, for two months in a row, every day a thousand words. Yeah. 
how how do you combine that with your study? PPE is quite intensive. <laughs> yeah, PPE is quite an intensive study, as I can acknowledge. And of course, the time in which I when I write when I um, when I did write a thousand words a day was of course during the summer period. So that was just before PPE. But mm -hmm. obviously, when I had the manuscript, which as I said wasn't the best manuscript uh, you can deliver. That's never the case when you start just writing everything out. When PPE started, I did have to combine all these things in your courses and, 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 and so on. So then I started writing a little bit less, uh, but I was still reading like uh, one and a half books a week. I was still writing in the study area. So I I was actually properly combining PPE with, with writing. But when the lockdown came by in March 2022, I did have way more time to actually write and read and make the manuscript better. And then in July 2020, I signed the contract with the publishing house. So yeah. Yeah, yeah to publish the actual book. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Also like that you have this uh, spirit to keep on going with a thousand words a day or reading one and a half books a week. I don't think a lot of uh, students um, have this attitude. I would say that if you study PPE or, or whatever study, uh, at the at the VU, and especially with PPE, you if you actually talk to other people and you make friends, and the PPE community is is, is really tight knit, and everyone has a story to tell, and everyone has a specific spirit that spurs them on and makes them willing to actually improve themselves every day and hopefully make the world a better place. Which sounds really cliche, but if you actually speak to people, really every story is really specific, tailored to that ambition. And for me, that was writing a book and trying to understand society and trying to write something that could help other people understand how our society is organized and how it should be organized in a better way and which ideas could help with that. And for other people, that is uh, going on, going to other countries, visiting them, uh, yeah. doing volunteering work, etc. So, Yeah. Okay, and you already mentioned that you found a publisher. Was that difficult? Yeah, quite difficult because I got uh, rejected a lot from several publishing house, given that I was really young. That was an argument. Uh, an argument was that I didn't have any structure in a manuscript uh, or that there was already a book about basic income. So those are all justified reasons to reject a book. But at the end of the day, I was really happy that the publishing house, Prometheus, actually invited me to come to Amsterdam to speak to them because if you actually speak to me, hopefully I come off as a really passionate <laughs> guy and yeah. then they can see, okay, there's going to be a book coming out of him. Whether or not the current manuscript is good enough, this will be a good book if yeah. we help him. So I think everybody who talked to you about the basic income <laughs> will agree that you are very passionate about this. Um, and how, how did you deal with those rejections? Was that hard? Well, at the end of the day, writing is something that hopefully comes from an intrinsic basis and intrinsic motivation. So a rejection, of course, is never nice. But if you have an intrinsic motivation to actually improve the manuscript and improve, again, how you clarify the ideas that you do have in your mind, then a rejection is only something that could motivate you to go on mm -hmm. and actually hope that someday one publisher will actually see that passion yeah. or that motivation to to write a good book and also what was really helpful for me was that I did speak to a lot of people which were extremely surprised and extremely enthusiastic about the manuscripts so I was like I don't know 
whether the, the publishing houses are stupid or that <laughs> the people that tell me, oh, what a good book are stupid. So I was like, I'll just write on and see what comes out of it. And yeah. luckily one day a publishing house said yes. So Yeah, that's really nice because now you've got an actual book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you told me before that uh, a lot of changes uh, still needed to happen uh, when Prometheus is offered you the contract. Yeah. Uh, you had to um, change a lot of stuff and you told me you have a document a document of 150 pages which i deleted yeah and i would say that if you look at the manuscript i delivered at prometheus the first time the difference with the current manuscript is like i think there's only a 60 maybe like a 50 40 overlap so i wrote like a fuckload of text after that so yeah it was a uh, was quite a challenge but it's a challenge that gives me the possibility now to actually write a better book uh, in the yeah. future, so yeah. So if you would advise people who got inspired by this to also write a book, what would you say to them? I would say that a book is a medium to actually express the way how you think about society. It's only a medium. But if you want to write a book, just start writing a thousand words a day because what will happen at first, it will be quite difficult and it will be a struggle. But if you see a text of 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 words in front of your computer screen and you see, oh, these things relate to each other and you start seeing combination, you see how yeah. your ideas overlap and you think, okay, this is going to be really nice. So it motivates you to keep on writing and especially for me when I started writing fiction about me growing up with autism, the first 5,000 words just before I, before I slept, I, I wrote was really hard but then I started getting better at to express my feelings to express how yeah. my surroundings look like and that's the same with non-fiction and fiction but you just you just have to start writing and yeah. try making up your schedule and make sure that there's room for it so yeah okay cool uh, now we've talked a bit about your personal experience of writing the book and now we will discuss the book itself um, I bought the book yesterday and I read a part of the first chapter i did not quite finish yet what you told me about the book is it is not to convince people about the universal basic income it is more about wealth inequality in yeah. the netherlands and how uh, the universal basic income is a solution to the problems yeah the uh, wealth inequality causes. yeah exactly yeah yeah you start off your first chapter by introducing the democratic house. What is that house? Yeah, so in short, the idea of the democratic house consists of seeing society as a house in which citizens every day uh, in a dynamic process work on the pillars of the house. And the pillars are uh, social, economic, political, and constitutional. So you have mm -hmm. four uh, pillars. And the idea is that if you want to make sure your house is stable, uh, is resistant to change and can deal with pressure from the outside, you have to make sure citizens have the freedom to work on those pillars. And if the roof of the house is not in balance and the roof of the house consists of the market, government and the civil society, which are three powers which throughout history have been the three powers historians, anthropologists always look at, uh, if these three powers aren't in, in balance, you will see that citizens have less freedom to work on those pillars. And if wealth inequality increases, this is the idea I uh, pro uh, yeah, post, yeah, propose in my book, is that you will see that the market 
roof. The roof, the market will become way too dominant. Mm -hmm. It will get strangled up with government because the market and private sector will lobby government to make sure that nothing changes, the status quo is held intact and to make sure that most of the wealth stays in their hands. And you will see that civil society crumbles as a roof and gets under pressure. And what we see right now is that indeed wealth inequality has increased dramatically in the Western world and in the Netherlands. The roof of the market has become way too dominant and through this uh, system, citizens have way more freedom to work on those pillars. If you would have a basic income, you would have the freedom to choose, okay, I want to do uh, some unpaid labor, some volunteering work. I would like to do some stuff in community. But if you get benefits from government, you are forced to look for paid labor because the government tells you you have to find work because that's the only way you contribute to society. Whereas that's not true because paid labor is good for the economic pillar perhaps but if you give people more freedom they can choose okay i would like to work on the social pillar but also a little bit on the economic pillar and give them more diversified options to contribute to society and universal basic gives gives you that freedom yeah so to recap a bit you have a house that is built of four pillars yeah and that has a roof but the roof is collapsing you say wealth inequality is the cause of that collapse and because the roof is collapsing the pillars are collapsing it's more indirect because the roof doesn't have a healthy balance the citizens in the house have less freedom Mm -hmm. to work on those pillars and what happens then is that those pillars become fragile yeah and then when wealth inequality increases as economic historian Bas van Bavel which I discuss in chapter two uh, says in every society in history, whether that's Iraq in the 9th century, Italy in the 13th century, the Netherlands in the 17th century, or yeah, the Western world right now in the 21st century, wealth inequality is the only factor which actually determines how healthy a society is and whether this society is actually buzzing from excitement or is actually declining, whether that's socially, politically, or economically. So... so- uh, one thing that you mention a lot is the freedom that s- civil society has, has to be enough to build on these pillars. Can you elab- elaborate a bit on why that freedom is important for civil society? Yeah, so the term I use to explain how the pillars get their strength is the idea of anti-fragility, which yeah. is an idea that was created by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And what he explains is that if you look at our immune system, if we are really young, we have to be exposed to, for example, allergens like peanuts. Because if we don't get exposed to allergens, in the end of the day, we become more fragile because our immune system was never challenged. This is the same for our uh, for our bones. If we don't move, if we stay in bed, our bones become fragile because they're not challenged anymore. And you can look at the pillars the same way. In, in short, the idea is that every complex system, whether that's our immune system or our economic system, have to be exposed to challenges. To So, for example, the corona crisis would be a challenge. That could be a challenge, but this is... No, this is not the same idea, but an economic system should be exposed to challenges, to, to diversity and to, for example, competition. Because otherwise, you'll see that too much power is concentrated into people's hands. And then at the bottom of society, there's no... There's no freedom for people to work on the pillars. And this is how I try to explain how the pillars become less, yeah, less anti-fragile. How they become fragile because they're not exposed to challenges. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in Dutch, I could explain it way more vividly. 
but I will try to work on my on my argument in English. Yeah, I think it's is pretty clear. Yeah. So why, for a person as an individual, it is important to 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 govern your own life and not to be governed? Why? Yeah. Well, those are quite interesting things to talk to think about. If you look at it in a psychological way, you can see how an author. Uh, psychoanalysts like Erich Fromm, but also like Hannah Arendt in her book, The Human Condition, they talk about how important it is for mankind to actually have the idea that they have an impact on their on their environment, that they have the power to actually make an impact in someone else's lives. And if you work at a nine-to-five job in which you are dictated by a boss, a boss higher up in our hierarchy to do this and this and that, you don't have the idea that you have any autonomy to actually do things yourself if you have uh, if you are in social security and government and government tells you to say oh you have to do paid labor but if you want if you say to government but i would like to do some volunteering work which is also really valuable to society they say no because we have the, the power to dictate what you do and with the freedom dividend the basic income you have the possibility to say okay i would like to do some more volunteering work i would like to do another job in which i have more autonomy to actually choose how I would like to impact society and how I would like to work together with people in my community or start a new business, which actually gives people more fulfillment in their lives. Yeah. Okay. So um, to recap, the universal basic income would give people back the freedom to to build on the pillars of yeah. the house. It would give the civil society, the roof, uh, the part of the roof that is the civil society, more the space yeah. to build on the pillars, yeah. which will rebuild the pillars of the democratic house. Exactly, because the universal basic income, the freedom dividend will strengthen civil society mm-hmm. in such a comprehensive way in order for the roof to become in balance again. Yeah. yeah. And this is also the idea I would like to expand upon in the in the second book about the house in general mm-hmm. so yeah th- yeah that's the idea exactly okay and how would a universal basic income look in your opinion it would consist of a monthly payment of a thousand euros a month mm-hmm. uh, which will be paid out to everyone above 18 years old mm-hmm. uh, until the day that they get their actual pensions but this is also something government should just look at when they actually implement it and that would cost around 134 billion and a lot of the money at hand which you can bring up is to remove the way we have their b- the benefits now the social security because people don't need uh, a lot of people don't need social security anymore except for people that actually have a handicap or whatever if they have the universal basic income you only you have to like 70 to 76 billion dollars you already ha- have uh, through removing this then you have to make sure okay how much money do we save by giving people money because like we see in all the experiments at a big and smaller scale is that people get healthier more productive they do more volunteering work when they have the universal basic income which saves money at a immense scale which also brings up a lot of money that you need to actually pay for the universal basic income and then you have a gap of let's say 20 billion which you actually gonna have to find through for example levying a tax on tech companies because they profit from our personal data at this moment at again an immense scale and if you make sure you have a tax on that wealth you trickle it down and you make sure that people actually have something to survive upon and thrive upon uh, during the challenges that 21st century has in store. Yeah, because um, wealth tax is 
uh, quite important to finance the universal basic yeah. income. Uh, but that's also quite possible. I read in your book because the the one top one percent in the Netherlands has. Uh, you have to remind me of the exact exact number, but I think 30% of the wealth. Yeah, so if you look at a graph which was published by the Ministry of Finance mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, you see that the lowest 10% has a negative wealth. So yeah. there's so our debt. debt. There's yeah. a debt. Then you see you see nothing for a really long time. Yeah. Starting from, let's say, 50 60%, you see a little bit of wealth building up. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people also have a house, which isn't real wealth because you actually... This is a house that they got through a loan yeah. at the bank, which is actually a debt as well. But again, okay, then you see some wealth building up, but not a mu- the, not that much. And then the last 10%, you see like a line shooting up into the sky, yeah. which represents a huge, the huge wealth inequality that is uh, apparent in Dutch society. And then you see, for example, that the top 10% has 68% yeah. of all the wealth in the Netherlands. The top 1% has one third. Yeah, one third of all the wealth. All the wealth in the Netherlands. Top one, yeah. and the top zero point one percent has one sixth of all the wealth in the Netherlands. Yeah, so that's those insane. are insane so numbers. It's of course you can debate about whether it's ethical to tax people for that wealth. Yeah. But in general, that's your idea to tax that wealth in order to finance the universe. Yeah, sure. And I think that whether it's ethical or not, a lot of that wealth hasn't been amassed in a productive way. Mm-hmm. A lot of that wealth has been amassed through the financial economy, as people like Mar- Mariana Matsukato call it, uh, Matsukato mm-hmm. calls it, but also Bas van Bavel, because when wealth inequality increases, the real economy in which things are actually produced in a yeah, productive way is actually diminished and the financial economy like the banking sector in which money is made with money by hedge funds for example Mm -hmm. grows and then you see that a lot of wealth is amassed even during the corona crisis because the european central bank is buying up and pumping money into the economy but that money isn't going to us but to the financial sector Mm -hmm. um you have to tax that wealth in some way the top one percent richest people in the Netherlands made in the corona crisis 9 billion yeah. do, uh, euros yeah. because they can use their money to make money with money. Exactly, because the corona crisis, given that the European Central Bank during the corona crisis was pumping money into the financial sector, is the reason why those people... Yeah, pumping money is ba- uh, is putting money in in an exchange for stocks, for example, right? For example, so yeah. So in the stocks, the, uh, the top 1% is the one who holds yeah. the stocks. Yeah. So and this is also yeah. a reason why the housing prices in the Netherlands actually increased during a corona crisis yeah. because those housing prices are mostly paid by loans mm-hmm. taken out by citizens at banks. And those banks got the money f- indirectly from the European Central Bank or whatever institution that was pumping yeah. money into the economy. So this is a real big problem and it just shows how in- unequal our society is organized. Yeah, that's really unequal and that has a lot of results to our society yeah what you see in societies which are more unequal like kate pickett and richard wilkinson explain in their books the spirit level and inner level you see graphs in which a lot of countries are compared and the more unequal the societies are the less good their mental health is you see uh, physical health deteriorating Mm -hmm. uh, life expectancy deteriorating between rich and poor Mm -hmm. you see less trust between 
rich and poor, you see less trust between people in general. Mm -hmm. You see educational performances declining. You see more crime. And those are all stuff that happen in more unequal societies. And those are the big problems politicians and people should talk about way more. Yeah. Because wealth inequality and taxing wealth is something that is just not discussed that much in yeah. general. Like uh, in the Netherlands, you have tax system books one, two, and three. Yeah. And books one is uh, income. Yeah. There's a lot of income tax yeah. as is kind of usual but box two is wealth yeah. and box two is not taxed at no. all no yeah yeah and that's that's again a result of how our government is indirectly lobbied of course and mm -hmm. yeah those are big problems to to actually meet and you have to make sure that whether you do that within a political system or from outside of it influencing it you build up an argument to actually convince people that we have to make a change and that a wealth tax is an inher inherent part of the solution so yeah yeah and a universal basic income would that decrease wealth inequality because uh, rich people also receive the that basic is income th yeah that's true but at the end of the day the increase in income will be higher at the bottom of society mm -hmm. and in the middle uh, part of the yeah income distribution and most importantly basic income is one part of the program that you have to build and if you finance it through a wealth tax you actually tax that wealth away mm -hmm. because a thousand euro is given but then it's also indirectly taxed away for yeah. people that oh, don't need it but it's way more efficient to just give it to people and then tax it away later than actually give it give uh, social security or benefits to people then check one or two years later whether they deserved that money and what happened in a benefit scandal yeah people got the money but it wasn't money that was given on an unconditional basis yeah the government came back a year or, or one year or two years later said oh but you were earning 10 euros more than you than you then you earned because if you earn 10 euros less then you could have the benefit but you earn too much so now we're gonna have to now we want to have the whole benefit back yeah instead of just 10 euros so people became in huge debts yeah. their families yeah, were they got torn apart yeah. uh, suicides happened because yeah. people came in debts because yeah. the government yeah. uh yeah that was a scandal that was also by uh rooted tree uh, how do you say it yeah uh, the coalition just yeah. had to had yeah. to had to stop so yeah okay i think we talked about a lot yeah uh, do you want to say a last thing about your book to end no, the conversation. No, no, I, I think I said everything. I could have explained some things given that I am not speaking English on a regular basis, given that our fourth floor of PPE is not open all the time <laughs> and you are not traveling to PPE all day. So yeah, I think I said everything. And yeah, the book is in the store so you can buy it. Yeah, definitely and, uh, buy it. Also, if you're international, just buy it. I want to thank the Foo Radio for making this podcast possible. And see you on the next episode of PPE Encounters. <laughs>